0: Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning. So good to be with you as we gather together on this snowy Sunday morning to be able to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, after a brief break in the action where we have spent time in the Advent season uh, looking into God's Word as it relates to Christ's birth, and then a communion service and a sanctity of human life Sunday was devoted to a passage in Genesis chapter 2, Well, we're making our way back now to a series in the Book of Acts that we began in, believe it or not, 2019. And uh, we are now in Chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at what the Holy Spirit inspired the physician Luke, who penned the Gospel of Luke, the third of the four Gospels, as well as the Book of Acts. We're in Chapter 20, and we're going to be exploring today verse one down through verse 16, but for the sake of reading, I'm going to read from verse one down through verse six. There's a wide range of names that are not gonna be the easiest to pronounce. There are a wide range of settings that many of us have not even spent time in, spent some time in some of these settings, um, but nonetheless, we're gonna try to do our best to manage this text for God's glory. Verse one, I'll read down through verse six, and here you and I find now these words, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. And these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi. And after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. I typically find that when people come across a lot of geographical settings and so on, it's easy to simply skip over, just keep moving forward, moving forward, moving forward and look for the meat of the passage but what fascinates us this morning is that you're going to be able to derive principles and ideas as to how this relates now to modern life and I think will relate very well in fact to the particular season that we're in in this pandemic era and so on so verses 1 through 16 today and we're going to pause and we're going to look to the Lord together now in prayer and Father we're thanking you for being our God we're thanking you for being the sovereign one who is overall. You're involved in the details of our lives. You understand the details, but then we do. You're involved in the people of our lives, family members, friends, those close, those removed from you, but you're sovereign. You're involved in the events of our lives. Can't orchestrate them on our own. We, we turn to you, the sovereign one. And we're going to see in this passage of Scripture that you provided us this morning, the degree in which, in fact, you're involved. So Father, for those that have arrived on the scene, for those that are watching live stream, no matter in what state or what town, what setting they find themselves in right now, in one accord, we're coming into your presence. We're asking you now to speak to us at a point of need. And the needs are many. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things now in Jesus' name. I can still hear the question. Our tour group was making their way through Greece and we were in a hurry in order to be able to cross the Aegean and get to Turkey. And so the itinerary was about to get restructured to be able to shorten the the time frame in one setting versus another. Evidently somebody in the group wanted to invest more time in a given area given area, and so he at one point shouted out to our tour guide, her name was Rainey, hey, who changed the itinerary? Who's in charge here anyways? Now obviously he had paid his dollars to be able to part of the tour and he uh, furthermore wanted to be able to spend time in a given era, area. But what struck me at this point is that the question he was posing in many ways is a question that so many people are posing throughout the course of life journeys. Who changed the itinerary? And who's in charge of my life journey anyways? I thought I had mapped out the itinerary for my life. But then events change. People come and people go, circumstances vary, and we find all of a sudden that life seems to be spinning out of control, and we begin to wonder just who is truly in control, and then your eyes are riveted upon chapter 20, verses 1, down through verse 16 this morning. What I want to do with you for the coming moments is to think with you about the itinerary of life. That God has written the itinerary. God's in control of the events. God's in control of the times. God's in control of the circumstances of life. What I want to do with you is to explore three significant needs that we're going to find in this passage that I I think relate to 2021 living. The first comes out of verse 1 down through verse 6, and we're going to pen it like this, that when God, when God changes the itinerary of your life, my life, put a comma there. Add the phrase, keep multiplying committed followers of Christ, that's your purpose. Noting this need, the vital encouragement we need to provide. Because you and I, on our life journey, no matter how the itinerary gets reshaped, we're going to find that people are going to feel as though life has been upended. There's been an uproar to your experiences of life. The itinerary has been shaken, and lo and behold, where you thought you were going to be, who you were going to be with, what you were going to be doing, it's as if somebody has rewritten the script and you're wondering, is there an eraser to be found where I can eliminate that event, find a way to delete of that particular experience? And then you allow for your eyes to come down upon this text and you ponder the experiences of the Apostle Paul. Now his friend, the physician Luke picks up in verse 1 of this 20th chapter with the phrase after the uproar ceased. Now Paul is always an uproar waiting to happen. It's just the way he lives his life. And uh, maybe you have experienced uproars in your life as well, upended uproars and so on. And you ask, well, Gary, what was just happening to be have Luke say this? Well... You see, in the prior chapter, there was a riot that occurred. Paul had appeared on the scene, and he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was out to make committed followers of Jesus Christ, multiplying committed followers of Jesus Christ, leading people to Christ, who would lead people to Christ, and so on and so forth, just like you and just like me when it comes to the purpose of living. No matter how the itinerary gets changed. But a riot broke out in the midst of Ephesus, shoreline of modern-day Turkey. Been there, done that. And lo and behold, he finds himself in the midst of chaos. You ever been there? And it seems as though in the midst of the chaos of your life, it's as if all of a sudden... You look at the itinerary, no chaos was found when the way you went and penned your itinerary, but it has made its way into your life experience. Now what? And what happens, by the way, once the uproar ceased? Well, remind yourself of life's mission. You're here to multiply committed followers of Jesus Christ no matter what 2020 entailed, no matter what 2019 entailed, and so on and so forth. And so now you begin to look at this man who serves as a model. He is willing to pick up where he left off and keep pushing forward. Are you? Are you proactive or merely reactive to the life experiences that come your way? Are you trying to control the itinerary Or are you willing to bow to the one who's sovereign over the itinerary? Well, God allowed in his permissive will for the uproar to occur. God in his directive will has outlined for us our purpose, multiplying disciples for Jesus Christ. So now here we find in verse 1 of this 20th chapter that after the uproar ceased, does he take a break? Does he pull back? No, instead, notice he's so proactive here that rather than allowing for the disciples to send for him, Paul sent for them. Do you see it there? Paul sent for the disciples. In other words, in the weariness of your own life experiences, when it seems as though the unexpected is broken into your itinerary, ask yourself, am I retreating into a reactive mode? Or do I remain proactive in my approach to minister effectively for God's glory? Now these are the questions, these are the questions of the hour of our lives. And so Paul, no passive man, sent for the disciples. And now you're going to notice that first need that we're talking about here, the vital encouragement we need to provide. And so significant is this, that not once but twice... In these opening verses, you will find that word for encouragement listed here. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples so that they could encourage him. So often, you and I find that in the midst of the uproars of our life, we are waiting in our life groups, waiting in our equip series, waiting in our relationships for someone to come along and pour courage in us. Encouragement. But instead of being depleted by the experiences of life that didn't appear on his itinerary, what the Apostle Paul does is flip it, and this is what astounds the disciples. This man is proactive, and in the midst of the challenges of life, he's encouraging them. You've experienced the loss of a loved one. To what degree did people get engaged or not engaged after the fact? You've experienced the loss when it comes to uh, the joy of life situations. Are you ready now to replace it with something new? Because your joy is not based upon your experiences. Your joy is based upon Christ. Here's Paul. Here's Paul. He's your model at this point. And instead of passively waiting for somebody to come along and make note of him, He's calling them out so he can encourage them. Is that you? This gets the attention of a culture that experiences loss and then passively waits for somebody to fill in the gaps. Paul, on the other hand, fills in the gaps with encouragement. After encouraging them, he then said farewell and departed. He departed for Macedonia, which means then he's going to start making his way back into Europe. We'll check that out in a second. But you're up to verse 2. You see here that he has encouraged, and when he had gone through those regions, what does he do? His encouragement is not based upon one setting versus another. He leaves Turkey, modern-day Turkey, so to speak, heads off to the of Macedonia, Europe, gone through those regions. What does he do? He gives them encouragement before getting to Greece. And I pause at that point. I think about a letter that John Wesley sent to William Wilberforce. Wilberforce, the great political leader in Great Britain's parliament, been seeking the abolition of slavery. He's discouraged. He needs to be encouraged. About to give up. But his elderly friend, John Wesley, he of it. And from Wesley's deathbed, he asked for pen and paper. And then with a weak, trembling hand, Wesley wrote these words. Wilberforce. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you'll be warred out by the opposition of men and the devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Is that good? Are all of them stronger than God? Wilberforce, do not be weary of well-doing. Go on. In the name of God, and in the power of his might, till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. Get this. Wesley died six days later. Wilberforce fought on for 45 more years, carrying that letter with him. Inspiring him allowing that letter to bring encouragement to him. And in 1833, three days before his death, I saw slavery abolished in Britain. Even the great ones, as the world would view them, need encouragement. Question, who in your sphere needs encouragement? Always keep a pack of thank yous nearby. Keep sending them out. Some are in the uproar. Maybe for you, it's after the uproar ceased. But rather than waiting for the disciples to come and encourage you, be like Paul. He sent for the disciples, encouraged them, said his farewell, departed from Macedonia, and, and when he'd gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, as the physician Luke points out to you and to me, came to Greece. And there he spent three months. But, you know, it doesn't t- take Paul long for to, be, to find some kind of new opposition. It's just Paul. And maybe that's you. But make sure they're opposing your Christianity, not your personality, okay? So here's Paul, and it doesn't take him long, and all of a sudden, once again, the opposition finds traction. Spent three months, you're in verse 3, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Well, we've got we to pull out a map here, don't we? and get a sense of just where we are and how all this is coming about, you see. And so he's made his way from the region of Turkey onward into Macedonia, and he is attempting to minister effectively all for, all for the glory of God. He's crossed the Aegean. And there now he finds opportunities to not only experience ministry, but simultaneously to experience opposition. And if you are going to minister effectively, you're going to be opposed effectively. The question is, will you take the encouragement that you have given to others and allow for the Holy Spirit in turn to encourage you and be encouraged by others? Where are you at this morning? Discouraged or encouraged? Break down that word and allow for courage to be brought in so that you keep on keeping on, multiplying committed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you do that, and lo and behold, you're going to check, check out your friends and, your, and those that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as does Paul. You're up to verse 4 at this point. The physician now wants to draw out for you, wants to draw out for me, his traveling companions. Now I want you, as you look at verse 4, to look at the similarities and look at the differences of these people. Because when you have quality relationships in your life journey, look for not only those who have things in common, but those who do not. I want you to see here the varied ethnicities. I want you to see here the various locales these people come from. And despite the fact there's diversity, ask yourself now, where is it that you find true unity in the midst of diversity? The culture today is asking this very question. And the answer is in Jesus Christ. Because notice now verse 4. And check out these names. There's Sopater. He's the Berean. He's the son of Pyrrhus accompanied him. But then of the Thessalonians, there's Aristarchus and Secundus, Gaius of Derby, and Timothy. What about the Asians? Well you got Tychicus, you've got Trophimus. In other words, what you see here now is that there is a fellowship with Diversity is being governed by unity of faith in Jesus Christ, who is Savior and who is Lord. So the question is now, why are these together at this particular time? Well, they're coming from different Christian communities, but they've got a common goal. They're going to join Paul as Gentiles, in bringing financial relief to the afflicted congregation in Jerusalem. What's that going to do? The church in Jerusalem is made up of Jews. This traveling team is made up of Gentiles. When they appear on the scene with financial relief for this hurting community in Jerusalem they are now giving tangible evidence, added evidence to the fact there's Jew, there's Gentile, but believing Jew, believing Gentile, we are one people in Jesus Christ, you see. This speaks. Look for needs. Look for the way in which your traveling companions in your life journey can go out of their way to meet needs that other people are simply not meeting, it raises questions, why you, why would you even think of me in such terms? But you're not passive. You're proactive. And in the midst of it all, in a needy culture that is highly diverse, and they're wondering where do we find unity? Is it found politically? You're able to say it can be found eternally through the one who three days later was raised from the grave. as these people from various backgrounds find oneness and then march towards Jerusalem to meet the needs of Jewish Christians here's this group of Gentile Christians they're on the way are you? well no they have to think strategically don't they as do you as do I Luke, you can tell now he's joined them because Paul had left him in Philippi. But the physician now has rejoined the group. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. They're a team. They're a support team. It happened in 1989. Mark Wellman, a paraplegic, gained national recognition, climbing the sheer granite face of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. On the seventh and final day of his climb, headlines of the Fresno Bee read in capital letters, I love capital letters, showing a will of granite. Accompanying the headline was a photo of Wellman being carried on the shoulders of his climbing companion, Mark Corbett. The subtitle said, again in capital letters, Paraplegic and partner proved no wall is too high to scale. But then, the rest of the story. What many people did not know is that Mike Corbett scaled the face of El Capitan three times in order to help Mark Wellman pull himself up once. And when I read that, clipped that out, filed that away, I thought of the fellowship of faith in Jesus Christ looking out for one another in life's journey. So let's take a look at that journey. We're back to our map again, aren't we? And as we're back to the map again, what we see now is that the Apostle Paul is gonna have to begin now to retrace his movements. Retrace his movements. He's encouraging people along the way. He's multiplying disciples along the way. He's going to find a way, in fact, to minister at the point of need no matter where God will temporarily place him, even if the settings of life are not part of Paul's itinerary for life, such as now making his way to Troas, which appears on the screen. Troas is a peninsula that juts outward into the Aegean. And as you ponder its position... Think now about the ships that are coming, the ships that are going. A great opportunity then for something significant to happen there so that as people come and people go, they will take the good news of Jesus Christ with them as they ponder what it was that Paul said and what it was that Paul did in that setting. Look at the, the lower section and the rockiness of the terrain and compare that then to, to the setting where land meets water. And now begin to ask yourself, why there? And what is God about to do there? And then put yourself in the unlikely settings of life that were not necessarily part of your life itinerary. You did not put it on your schedule, but there you are. Here you are. Question, what's God doing right now with you? And how does God want to impact people through you? And now the unexpected settings combine with the unlikely events and you find a convergence point. And in your life experience, the unlikely settings combine now with these events of life and you find something significant is about to unfold in your, in, your, in your journey. You're on, you see. You're on to the second need. Because the verses 1 down through verse 6 deal with the vital encouragement we need to provide. And we got that right from the text, didn't we? Verse 1 and verse 2, twice the usage of the word encourage in various forms. Then, out of verses 7 through 12, second of all, notice with me the unexpected events we need to manage. Again, your mission, your purpose in life, no matter what it is you do, we all share this in common. If we know Jesus is Lord and Savior, we're multiplying committed followers of Jesus Christ, even when the unexpected events of life emerge, and we've got to be able to manage them. And, and here it comes. Here it comes. It's the first day of the week. They're gathering together now on the Lord's Day. It's a Sunday. Now, in the Roman culture at that point, most likely many of these believers were mandated to be working at a certain point of that day, so oftentimes you will find that they would gather together in homes or wherever it was possible in the evening hours of the Lord's Day. Furthermore, it appears as though Luke, who was a Gentile, Christian Gentile, he is using the Roman calendar rather than the Jewish calendar. So on the first day of the week, the physician's there because he says we, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. You can imagine he's teaching them. He's explaining the significance of who Christ is, of what Christ has done. Not going to miss opportunity when breaking the bread to talk about the one, you see, who died for our sins, three days later, raised from the grave, and what breaking of bread entails in this symbolic story of the ultimate issues of life. So he talks with them. But now notice the next word he's intending. Pause you probably have some intent for how you're going to invest time this afternoon. Plans for the week. What are your intentions? What's on your heart? What are you hoping to accomplish? Paul has intentions. You have intentions. But the question is, are the intentions lining up with the itinerary? And who's in charge of this itinerary anyways? Soon find out. Now remember again, now you're in Troas, and Troas jets out into the Aegean Sea. Ships coming, ships going. Stories to be told by sailors as they move from one setting to the next. It's late. It's the midnight hour. There are many lamps, you see, that were there in this upper room was a well-to-do family. Typically, they were one-story units in Troas. This is two stories. Ponder the lamps, the heat of the oil lamps and the likes, the lateness of the hour. And there's this young man. You're up to verse 9 now. His name is Eutychus. Every year, Christianity Today had a column where the headline for the column was um, Eutychus. And it was an unknown person each year who would write a column based upon how truth relates to the current situations of life. A different writer every year. One year it was my pastor, Warren Weersby. He was Eutychus. Incredible wit, incredible wisdom found in that man, and it showed up in his columns. Well, there's Eutychus, and in verse 9, he's sitting at the window, and Paul is speaking, and he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And all I can say is, if it happened to the Apostle Paul, great as he is, it could happen to, I'll stop right there, (laughs) and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story, And was taken up and dead. Now, at this point, I can imagine Luke looking at Paul and Paul looking at Luke. And Paul is looking hard at Luke, and Luke's saying, look, man, I deal with sick people and make them well. You're an apostle. You can deal with the dead people and make them alive, you see. You know, division of labor is what's happening here at this point. Uh, But Paul went down and bent over him. This is so good. So good. And taking him in his arms, I said, do not be alarmed. He's saying this out loud, you see. For his life is in him. Now, bear in mind, the Apostle Paul has been involved in the breaking of bread which will recount the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You don't waste the experiences of life. You invest in the experiences of life, even if they are not on your itinerary. And when Paul had gotten up and had broken bread, do you see how this comes together in verse 11? And eaten. He conversed with them uh, a long while until, well, until daybreak. This man's got stamina. Love it. And so departed. And so they, uh, they... took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted which in the Greek is the same word for encouragement that we found in verses 1 and in verse 2 now let's say that you and I are tracking with Paul and we're we're doing a journey and following in the footsteps of the apostle Paul and we know that in the book of Acts that he eventually makes his way to Rome as we will see in Acts chapter 28 and say so, hey get Let's go in to the Basilica in Rome. I'm thankful for Kim Buer who pulled this picture up for me at this point. Been in the Basilica. Here's the picture. And the picture that you and I would be able to stand before is Paul reviving Eutychus. It's an oil on campus in Basilica of Rome. Don't waste the stories of life, invest them. If you're in the Vatican at that moment as an evangelical, you have an opportunity to take people who are highly visual and then take them to the written word and say, Let me tell you about what happened in Acts 20. If they're standing there and wondering what the story is about. This depicts the scene in which the Apostle Paul raised Eutychus from the dead, which was a sign, an indicator, that would point people towards the one who died on the cross and three days later was raised from the grave. What you want to do then is to take the visuals of life and set up directional signs that take people then in the direction of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul did this. Now you have opportunity and your life experiences to do this because you don't waste the time. You invest the time that God gives you. Are you doing that? Take the visuals, even of coronavirus. Take the visuals of all the chaos we've encountered in the past year and then say, and what can I do now to set up directional signs towards Jesus? You're thinking, well, even if 2020 didn't necessarily provide you with the, the experiences you wanted in your itinerary. But you're thinking about the vital encouragement that we need to provide in 1 through 6, and you're thinking about the unexpected events we need to manage, not mismanage, that we see in verse 7 through 12. But now thirdly, because you're tracking with me, I want you to see here thirdly the alternative strategies that you and I, we need to consider in verse 13 down through and verse sixteen. Here it comes. You see, the Apostle Paul is not wedded to one method. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. Be able to distinguish. Now, his plan, his strategy, his method was to go by foot. Think again. You're checking out verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending, Lucas writing with his companions, to take Paul aboard there for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. In other words, what you see and I see at this point is that Paul wants to go by land. They want to go by sea. What Paul is going to have to be able to demonstrate at this point is this. Flexible methods for fluid times. That's what 2020 on into 2021 has been all about don't become so wedded to a method that no longer works might have worked in June but not in July we utilized live stream only for roughly 10 weeks give or take and then somewhere in that early portion of June went back to gatherings and have been at it now believe it or not for 7 months we varied our methods we have not varied our message You can learn from Paul. And so we don't become so committed to our itinerary that we fail to take into account the unplanned, unusual events of life in our sphere when God all along had a different plan and wrote out a different itinerary. Paul wants to go by... Land, they want to go by sea. Now, get this. Over the course of Paul's extensive ministry, he traveled 8,000 plus miles. What's your odometer reading? Land and sea. This is astounding. He has, he knows the Roman system well values what it is that has been achieved in the political system of Rome. Lionel Casson. He could sail through any waters without fear of pirates thanks to the emperor's patrol squadrons. Epictetus. There are neither wars nor battles nor great robberies nor piracies but we may travel at all hours and sail from east to west. William Ramsey. Roman roads were probably at their best during the first century after Augustus had put an end to war and disorder. Thus Paul traveled in the best and the safest period of time. Back to ships. Ancient ships generally had but one mast. One square sail. So their ability to attack against the wind was limited. And so you're up now, aren't you, to verse 14? And when he met us at (laughs) Asas, it's as if they take him hostage. We took him on board, you see. And Paul is saying, wasn't part of my itinerary, but God's got other plans. And they went to uh, Medellina. And we need to pause there and ask And what kind of sailing vessel is he on anyways? And there you have it. This is called the Roman corbita ship. Probably for the most part utilized for cargo. You see the singular mast, which means you're going to be deeply affected by the winds of the times which means you're going to have to continuously make adjustments to the winds. And likewise you, likewise me, we keep having to adjust our sails. But we know our direction, we know our destination, and we keep moving forward. That's what Paul was all about. Back to the text. And so in verse 15, sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we, we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. Miletus. Obviously he's running up and down the shoreline now of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And for the last verse of this passage for this morning, Paul had decided to he decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. Why? He's got a time schedule. He was hastening. You find yourself hastening this morning, stressing. You're on the clock. He was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. But would the timing be part of God's itinerary? or was that part of Paul's itinerary but he makes his way to Miletus pause and what will he encounter in Miletus look at the scene for there in Miletus is a theater a roman theater it would remind him very frankly of the riot that broke out in ephesus in 19 here is another roman theater and but as he walks around the theater wondering, and how do I go about finding an on-ramp by which I'm going to be able to multiply committed followers of Jesus Christ maybe there's a synagogue to be found lo and behold there's a plaque at the theater and on the plaque this is the place of the Jews who are also called God-fearing. And what he does is he takes flexible methods, applies them to fluid times, with a focused, fixed emphasis upon the truth of God's word. Timeless truths presented in timely ways, All for the glory of God. And now you've got an answer to that guy who shouts out to your tour guide, hey, who changed the itinerary when the real question is, who's in charge of your itinerary? Let's stand together. And so, Father, we're dealing with people we are navigating relationships with by land, by sea, so to speak. Keep adjusting ourselves. Some are going to need that vital encouragement. They need to be reengaged with multiplying disciples for Jesus. Something got stalled. Could be they experienced a significant loss of life, and now, and now they're going to have to reengage. Where to begin? You find your on-ramp. You've taught us about the unexpected events. We're going to have to manage them, not waste them. You've taught us this morning about the alternative strategies. There's going to have to be plan B's and plan C's. Show us what those are. If that plan A was our plan, not your plan. Through it all, Father. Father. We're going to leave here this morning giving you our itineraries. And if you need to redo them, so be it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.